Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Changemakers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. Many of us have a strong desire to become a better person. We read books and complete programs, and yet we still struggle. What we feel called to do can sometimes seem impossible. Joining us today to talk about our potential for transformation and how we can discover the seed of possibility in every moment is Guy Finley, an internationally renowned spiritual teacher. Guy is the founder and director of Life of Learning Foundation and a best-selling author. Welcome, Guy. Thank you so much for coming back on the show. I'm glad to be with you, Joan. Nice to speak with you again. Guy, I always enjoy our conversations. And in the past, we've talked about living life to the fullest, finding the greatness within, aligning with the divine. But I love today's topic, which is finding the seed of possibility in every moment, because I think it offers to us hope. And hope is something that many people have lost today, especially when they're facing a difficult situation. So why do you believe that there isn't a moment that doesn't hold the seed of possibility? Joan, the thing is, is that we, we, we've lost sight of the fact that each of us in and of ourselves is a very unique creature, that we have capacity for change that is unequaled but because of the world that we are in, the, the social systems that govern us, the, the endless pursuit of wanting approval, all of these ideas that our worth as a human being is determined by the world around us has literally locked us into a kind of closet where you know there's four things hanging there. And if we can't have one of the four things the world imagines makes us unique and special, then we feel like we've lost out. And it's just not it's just not the case. We we are unique. We are created to receive impressions and be changed by them so that there's no moment in which understood properly we can't enter into a new understanding that allows us to participate in a in in, in a how should I say that in a world where we are forever being shown new possibilities about ourselves. And I think the problem, Guy, you know, you, you keep stressing how we're unique, but we are continually being given messages trying to make us conform to be the way everyone else is. That's exactly it. Imitation is an absolute destructive force, and, and it requires clarification because uh, you, let's say you want to learn how to play golf or paint or play the piano, you're moved to want to develop that part of yourself because you watch a master, you listen to some uh, violinist, you're moved. And so it seems to you that the way to become uh, what you are moved to become is to imitate that. But a real master will tell you that they did not get to that place in their life by imitation but rather by discovering what was latent in them through the process of exploring their possibilities, not trying to confirm them according to some imagined ideal, 
but rather getting in with the pick and shovel, so to speak, and, and, and learning about oneself. That's how we get past this idea of an imitative life, because as you said, that's where we are today. God help our children. Well, you just mentioned our children, Guy. You know, you're older, I'm older. We have more wisdom because of what we've experienced in life. But every single message that's being given to our kids today is to conform, that if you stand out, you will be bullied and mocked and ridiculed. So how do we get this messaging to our kids? Oh, boy, you know, it, it, honestly, Joan, you know, I've been, I've been, I've spent the last 50 years of my life uh, talking and teaching, trying as best I can to convey this idea that the value of a human being, a child's value, is what that man or woman or child can realize about themselves, not prove to themselves that they're like somebody else. The, the whole prospect of individuality has been lost because we don't know what it means to be an individual anymore. In the truest sense of the word, Joan, the word individual means undivided, a singularity. And when you measure the idea of an undivided singularity, a man or a woman who is content and at peace with himself or herself because of what they are, not because of what they have, and not because of what others think of them, but because what they have found within themselves that they can be awakened to and realize as the gift of this life, and it's unending, how shall I say, the unending discovery of a treasure that lies latent in the human being waiting to be uncovered. If we could teach our children that in and of themselves they are already more than they will ever need to be, then we would have a shot. And that's the thing, you know, so many of us, we have to start with the adults, with the parents, with the teachers, and, and teach the kids these lessons. But the problem is, Guy, that so many people are afraid of what they're experiencing in life. They're trying to push down the bad experiences. And, and in my own life, I think I have grown and learned the most from the unpleasant, the bad experiences, more than I ever have when life was going smoothly. So a, a lot of your work is about finding those seeds of hope, of possibility when you're facing a challenge. So how does someone learn how to stop running away and suppressing and fearing these unpleasant unpleasantries in life to find those seeds? It's, 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 such, a, it's such a great topic. It, but we have to have new self-knowledge. I think it was Einstein said that the, the solution uh, to the problem can't be found within the mind that creates it. Right. And we we live with a mind that is looking at the world through a, in a through in from inside of a box, and all we know, all we are taught as adults and as we teach our children, is that if there is some experience you don't like, control it, change it, or run from it. And it takes a certain amount of time to discover the old adage, what you go around comes back around. And the reason what you go around comes back around, because what you're trying to get away from is your own consciousness. The moment we don't like in life isn't because the moment, the moment doesn't come in and go, you know, I'm really going to cause Joan some trouble here. The moment reveals the consciousness that we come into that moment with. So when we have an experience we don't like, what we really don't like is the experience of our own consciousness. And you can't escape that. It can only be transformed, transcended. That's the beauty of what we're talking about. The realization of a need for a new relationship with life based on a new understanding of ourselves. And so it's staying in possibility. Yes, it, it's... It, well, we could say it that way, Joan, but I think another way of saying that would be realizing the impossibility, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, I've, been, I've been trying to get away from, well, let's fill in the blanks for the listeners. I've been trying to get away from my impatience, from my anger, from my regrets, 
from my doubts, from my sense of inadequacy. I've been trying to get away from what I believe are the, the memories and the conditions that create these pains in me for as long as I've been in a body. And I've never done it. Why? Because wherever I go, there I am. There is that consciousness. You know the passage in the scripture, Christ said, I go before you to make the crooked places straight. You know, how about there's something in us that goes before us to make sure it makes a mess out of everything so that then we can struggle with whatever that imagination points to for the rest of our lives and mm-hmm. all for nothing. So all of those things that you just listed that you're working on, each of those things has an energy. And I've heard you say that when something meets what it doesn't want there, there's an energy. Can you explain to us a little bit about that energy, how it impacts our life and the way we end up living? I love that question, Joan. (laughs) I love that question. Yes, I'm so happy to. First of all, listeners, if you want to write something down important, if you have any interest at all in, in, in this topic of how can we transform our consciousness and therefore transform our experience, not try to change our experience by avoiding our consciousness, then here's an important idea. Resistance cannot learn. Even a, a moment's contemplation proves that if I resist a moment, I'm trying to push the moment away that I blame for my pain. And you can't learn about anything by resisting it. It's literally impossible. Resistance is separation. So when I resist an unwanted experience, I'm trying to prove that somehow or other, the experience and who I am are separate things. And they're not. They're a singularity. So when I realize that resistance merely ensures the repetition of that experience, then I can begin to explore the immense energy that takes place when we start to feel this moment we don't want. We never go beyond that moment, Joan. All we do is try to get away from it. If we want to be free, if we want to transcend ourselves, we have to discover what lies beyond resistance, what lies beyond the moment I don't want. And if we'll be brave enough, courageous enough to explore that, we'll realize that there is no moment I don't want without a me that came into that moment demanding the moment be other than it is. And that's impossible. I experienced something similar. Like when my marriage was ending, I was changing and my partner, my husband didn't like those changes. And, 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 and I think a lot of it was because if I changed and he didn't change with me, what we had would end. And I think that's why there was a resistance to that. So when you are evolving and you're growing and the person that you're with isn't, is there a way that you can salvage that type of relationship, whether it be a spouse, a friend, a coworker, whatever it is, when you're growing and and becoming a higher nature, a higher energy, can you maintain a close bond with someone who has no willingness to do that? Well, that's a a tough road to hoe, Joan, uh, as you well know. I mean, when we are looking at relationships like that, we have to realize that the relationship that we're drawn to originally, we're drawn to it because there's something in it that helps us grow as another human being. I'm drawn to a person because they helped me discover parts of myself I didn't know were there. Like I look out of this beautiful spring day and seeing all of the fresh, verdant green, I experience myself in a way that that relationship makes possible. It reveals to me the content of my own consciousness in that moment. So I'm with somebody and we have that initial uh, attraction because each of us is learning about ourselves through the other person. But if the other person no longer wishes to uh, grow, meaning to explore the new possibilities, then they will be drawn to what they're drawn to, and you're drawn to what you're drawn to. And there is oftentimes natural separation that feels fearful because we have attachments and dependencies on what has been. 
But as you evidence from what you said, the, the wish to discover more, uh, more truth, more understanding always trumps the, 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 uh, the inertia of a relationship that has grown uh, stale. Mm-hmm. That's just the way that it is. There's nothing you can do. And Guy, is that the lower nature that you speak about? We can use the word lower nature. Uh, you know, we have all of us, we come into this world, we have the things we're drawn to, things that we, we, we struggle with. And it's just, you know, I look out, I'm looking at 10,000 trees on this hilltop. Every tree is different. Some men and women just have no interest at all in developing themselves because their level is still that which they believe that who they are, their value is determined by the people around them. One day, another person realizes I'm a victim of anybody whose approval I want because I sell my soul to get it. I'm a victim of the job that I struggle to to go to that I don't want to because it keeps my life that I don't want in place. I mean, it just becomes evident. That's what's so fascinating to me, Joan. There's so much to do about an authentic spiritual life when if we were just honest with ourselves and realized that we keep doing the things that we don't want to do, hoping that if we struggle long enough, we'll escape the struggle. It's it's crazy. Mm -hmm. We have to recognize that there are certain struggles that have to come to an end. Struggling with what I fear has never changed this fearful nature. Struggling who, with who makes me angry has never freed me of my anger. We must go within, and we must understand that if we're ever going to outgrow or transcend this lower nature, it's going to begin with discovering how and where its influence over us has drawn us into the, the problem relationships that we have. That's how it changes seeing the truth. And Guy, what happens in our life when we do that? Oh, hold on. <laughs> oh God, what a what a what a what a trip, Joan. I'm I, I am speaking now personally, which I don't usually do, but I shall. I've had in my own seventy four years, I've had at least five different lifetimes. We're supposed to have different lifetimes, Joan. Like a kid that goes to an amusement park and he can't wait to get on that one ride. And then one day he looks at the ride and he says, you know, I've been on that a hundred times. Is there something else? I've been angry a thousand times. Is there something else I can be in this moment? I've been impatient. I've been jealous a thousand times. I've ruined so many moments with other people because of my, my, uh, my need for approval. when that moment comes and I feel that that ride, that consciousness getting ready to whop up all that content, is there something else that can happen in that moment? That's that's the journey. Because our experience moment to moment is nothing other than the way our present consciousness enters into and what it takes out of each moment. What does it find in the moment? Can I find something new? We're drawn to that, Joan. We started our conversation that way. We are created to be renewed. We are created to go through transformation on a daily basis, not every 15 years because of a sour relationship or a bad business deal. But that's for each individual to discover. You and I are just encouraging that through our conversation. And Guy, you just said that in your 74 years, you lived many lifetimes, many different life oh, yeah. lives. Oh, yeah. the, the problem with most people is that when something is coming to an end, rather than seeing uh, an exciting new beginning, we cling to that ending. We fear making that transition. So is there something you could say to someone to help that person let go and and see the next life with excitement and joy and passion? Don't make deals with pain. We're always negotiating with ourselves because we want, just as you said, there are parts of us. It isn't Joan. It isn't Guy. Listener, it isn't you who fears the pain of ending something. There is an order of consciousness that is fully identified with, attached to, and that clings to the past because everything that I know about myself is formulated through those old relationships 
and the way I remember them. And at some point, we have to move past this consciousness that wants to live with what was in favor of entering into the new possibilities of what is. And the pain, the fear of the end of something is the reincarnation of that consciousness. It makes deals, it negotiates, it postpones. It's always trying to avoid suffering what is in front of us that cannot be avoided. But we manage to do it. Most addicts, drug alcoholics, food, foodies, these, these destructive patterns in our life are ways in which we have agreed to substitute something, some other pleasure, some other plan for what we don't want to see has come to an end. Let it be. Let it go. And as I like to say, this life is one big journey of letting go. And if we're willing to see the end of something and not fear it, but rather bear that long enough to recognize there's no hope in clinging to something that's dead or that is nothing but a new pain every day, then I have to just dare to let go and see what happens. That's why I love this topic today, because when I was going through all of my losses and all of my pain, I was literally torturing myself because I was clinging so much to the past because I didn't know how to move forward and I was afraid to move forward that I was creating my own pain by staying yes. there. And and that's yes. why I think what, what you're saying and the work that you're doing about showing us the possibility in every moment, it was once I made that transition of starting to say, well, maybe it was that word, maybe, maybe there's something else for me that I was able to let go of that pain. Yeah, and, and I'm, I'm sure that if I was to rephrase that slightly, you would agree with me. In the end, it isn't die that lets go of the pain. In the end, it's the discovery that clinging to the pain just ensures that nothing's going to change, that hoping the pain will go away somehow is going to deliver me into some painless life. At some point, to use other words, we have to die to ourselves. That's what rebirth is. We're meant to have a, a, a life in which it becomes so clear that the path I am in will never deliver the peace that I want. It'll never bring the proper sense of prosperity of security. So what other choice do I have? That, in some ways, Joan, is what's called the dark night of the soul. All the way along one spiritual path is recognizing that there is no intelligence in clinging to something that, as I do, makes me a captive of its promise that tomorrow will be different. And there is no tomorrow that will be different for a consciousness caught in and a captive of its own demands, its own fears. No such thing exists. And God, before we run out of time, I know you have an exciting program that you're offering about this topic. Would you tell us a little bit about it? Oh, thanks for asking that, Joan. Uh, here in Southern Oregon, where I live and teach, uh, every three months uh, we have a special event, and we have one coming up in June. We call it the Talks in the Pines, where I, for, over a period of Three days, I give four talks. Men and women from all over the world come in and join. And we're going to talk about this uh, transition that you and I have been looking at, this transformation using the, 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 the moment in order to let go and enter into a new and higher level of ourselves. And it begins uh, June the 23rd, goes through the 25th. Uh, men and women, as I said, come in. You can find out about it on, at my website, guyfinley.org. Uh, and for that matter, it'll be it'll be free online as well, all over the world. Uh, you can find out about that at guyfinley.org forward slash classes. So there's a number of ways in which a person can find out about this. Guyfinley.org forward slash let go. Any of those uh, URLs will bring you into a free place where you can discover freely all of the information that Joan and I have been talking about, and I would urge you to do so. Life is only really valuable when we discover that we have been given everything we need to be a successful, interior-based human being. Then life has a new meaning.
And Guy, in about 30 seconds or less, what is the takeaway from this conversation that you would like to leave our listeners with? There isn't a soul on this planet that is created with your possibilities. But in order for you to actualize those possibilities, you have to be in a conscious relationship with what gave you those possibilities. So it is awakening to that relationship within yourself that allows you to realize everything that awaits you within yourself. And there's no greater journey on this earth. Guy, thank you so much for joining us once again. I love our conversations. You always give me a lot to think about. And I really do love when you come on the show. And I can't wait for our next conversation. And uh, that's what I love about you, Joan. Not that you love our conversations, but that you have in you this willingness, this, this love of what is true. It is so rare and a pleasure to talk to. I promise you that. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Do you feel lost on your journey to health and happiness? Then let us guide you on your path. Personalized actions towards health. Your path is a series of choices you act on every day. We guide you on a personalized journey of dietary, exercise, genetic, supplement, and lifestyle choices that lead you to optimal health and happiness. Often taking the road less traveled leads to liberation. Your path is personal. Your journey, like you, is unique. Take action today. Head to bestpathforme.com. Again, that's bestpathforme.com. An invitation to appear on a radio show or podcast provides you with the opportunity to showcase your knowledge while promoting yourself, your products, and your business. It can elevate you as an expert, boosting your reputation, but only if you make a good impression. If you want to stand out as a great guest who is remembered, celebrated, and gets invited back, you need to give the host and listeners what they want while communicating with confidence and charisma. Hi, this is Joan Herman. After years on air, I can tell within minutes if a conversation will be stimulating or not. Being prepared with a compelling message makes all the difference. In my training program, It's Your Time to Shine, I provide valuable information that will empower you to make the most of any media appearance. You work hard to get the booking, so don't waste the opportunity because of a lack of skills or preparation. To learn more, visit joanherman.com slash media training. That's joanherman.com slash media training. Hi, it's Linda from Linda Mitchell Coaching and Healing. Imagine yourself remaining calm, clear-headed, stress-free, and positive, even in the midst of life's greatest challenges. Good news, there's a proven process to help you do just that. And I'm living proof. Go to lindamitchellhealing.com to take a free assessment and learn the top ways you sabotage your success and happiness and how to finally break away from those old patterns. Let's talk after your free assessment at lindamitchellhealing.com. Fear is one of the most powerful forces in life. It affects the decisions we make and the actions we take. And while the primary role of fear is to keep us safe, it often becomes the obstacle that stands between us and our dreams and goals. Hi, this is Joan Herman here with a lesson learned while earning my PhD in life. You can allow fear to stop you from taking action or you can face, challenge and overcome it. There are rational fears, the ones that are based in reality, such as encountering a bear while on a hike in the woods. And there are irrational fears that keep us stuck. These are the stories we tell ourselves about outcomes we believe will happen. With no factual basis, they usually begin in childhood and remain with us until something is changed. These can be labeled destructive fears. While it's not always easy to recognize our fears and how they keep us stuck, Here are a few clues that experts say may help us determine if our life is guided by fear rather than joyful freedom. You see only the downside. You avoid anything new or unknown. You stay small. You are indecisive. How can you move past the fear? First, become aware of what scares you and how you respond. Keep a journal, and when you recognize a fear, jot it down. Then write down how you react when fears arise. Keep track of anything that seems significant. Learning about your fears can help you transform them. Once you are aware of your thoughts and responses, you can employ a few strategies for change. Use your imagination for good. Instead of letting your thoughts take you down a dark hole, imagine yourself in the situation with a positive outcome. Take a time out. Don't react immediately and give yourself some time and space for analysis. Clear your mind by focusing on your breath. 
taking a walk, or participating in any activity that calms you down. Then, when your mind is clearer, analyze the situation with a new perspective. Talk to a friend or advisor. Gaining insight from someone on the outside can help you see a situation in a different light. Remember, fear is nothing more than false evidence appearing real. You can allow fear to stop you from taking action, or you can face, challenge, and overcome it. The choice is yours. Thank you for spending this time with me. For more empowering tips and strategies, visit joanherman.com. This is WNYM, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City. Welcome back to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. For most of us, checking our emails, texts, and social media accounts is as much a part of our daily routine as bathing and brushing our teeth. Today, most of us communicate from behind electronic screens, and while we may believe we are connecting with others, studies show that Americans feel less connected and more divided than ever before. According to today's guest, Celeste Headley, the erosion of our conversational skills lies with us as individuals, and the only way forward is for us to start talking to each other. Celeste joins us today to offer simple tools that can improve anyone's communication. Celeste is an award-winning journalist, professional speaker, and author of We Need to Talk, how to have conversations that matter. Welcome, Celeste. Thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure. It's great to be here. Celeste, we think we are communicating, but sometimes when I scroll through social media or I listen to other people, I think it's a lost art. When technology is the primary means of communication, so much of our messaging is lost. We lose all of the nonverbal. So what do you believe is happening to our relationships today with the way we communicate? So there's a, a there's a lot in what you have just asked me. I mean, for first of all, the i the idea that we have that we're communicating, I think is sometimes based on the fact um, that we do expend social energy when we are you know sending out tweets or Facebook posts. That does you know everyone has a limited amount of social energy each day that refreshes, and you do use it up <laughs> while you're on social media. The thing is, is that you're not getting back all that great biofeedback that replenishes your stores, that actually lifts your mood and makes you feel better. So after a day spent on social media, even though you haven't really been making an authentic human connection, you will feel tired socially. You will feel like you don't have any more energy to talk with a friend on the phone, for example. But you're correct that we are losing that authentic human connection that we actually need as human beings in order to remain healthy. And again, this is this, we have to get back to the fact that we are biological creatures, right? We simply have not evolved quickly enough to, to have the same kind of reaction uh, when we get a message by text as we do when we hear a human voice, whether that's in person or over the phone. It's it, we just, I mean, we know what the brain looks like. We know what the body does when you respond to a phone call as opposed to a text or a Slack message, and they're simply not the same. When you get a text or you see something that someone has written on social media, you know, I'm amazed at the way people speak to one another through these mechanisms. You know, when when you have to look at someone in the face and say something that might be not very kind and you watch the tears well up and you see the pain, I just think it breeds a a different way that you are connecting with another as opposed to just typing X amount of words and hitting send. You are absolutely correct. This is why, you know, everybody wants to send their apologies by email or text. And yet the, the reason that we do it is because it's easier. But unfortunately, that ease and that comfort robs it of its significance. And I'll explain. When you've done someone a a harm, um, moving from I'm angry at you all the way through uh, I forgive you and then being able to move on from that damage is a relatively uh, complicated cognitive and emotional process. And we can watch it happening in somebody's brain and in their physiology. So scientists have actually been able to test, test this, right? They can test um, the effect of an apology when you read it in any form, text, email, whatever, and they can uh, observe the effect of an apology when somebody goes to you either on the phone or in person and says, I'm really sorry. 
I mean, the reason that we do it over the, over email is because it's really hard to face someone or get them on the phone and say, I'm sorry, you're afraid that they're going to be mad at you. You're going to be afraid about what they're going to say to you. Um, and so we avoid that. However, that difficulty is what actually ends up making that apology worthwhile. When you are struggling for words, uh, when they can see your face, exactly as you've described, when they see you struggling, it, it lights up the compassion center of their brain. I'm, I'm being simplistic here, but um, it lights up the part of their brain that's involved with empathy and compassion. And that begins that process that can ultimately lead to forgiveness and then being able to move on. Without that, you've wasted your time sending that apology by email. It's had no effect. And the same is true, just as you imply, for pretty much any communication that involves um, real emotion. It's just not the same impact when you're not getting that that response, when you're not seeing someone's face, when you don't hear the, the hesitation in their voice. Um, perhaps you don't hear fear, you don't hear insecurity or anything like that. It, it removes all of that biofeedback that we spent 300,000 years evolving to pick up on. Um, you know, it's, at one point I asked the scientists if at some point written communication would, would at least equal verbal communication in terms of effectiveness. And she said it's possible in five to 10,000 years. So if we are conducting most of our communication in a way that diminishes compassion and empathy, what is happening to us as human beings? And, and what will happen to our children if this is all they know? That's <laughs> a really great question. I, I'll say a couple things, which is that we do have some clinical research that seems to indicate that empathy has fallen and has fallen by a lot in recent decades. Um, so that's number one. And I, I almost feel like that's a no-duh study, right? Like, if I say to you, hey, clinical research has proven that people aren't as empathetic as they used to be, I feel like everyone's like, yeah, <laughs> I know. Um, we can feel that change. We can feel this, I guess, this every, every man for himself, every person for themselves, right? Um, which is our loss of our connection, which is horrible. I don't know what it means. And, and it's bothersome to me because I don't think people realize that empathy is not uh, a soft skill, Empathy is not something that they teach you on Sesame Street and then you, you, you dump it as you become an adult. For our species, our species has never been able to survive and thrive alone, ever. That's not how we work. We have always depended on community in order to survive. And so empathy and compassion, those things that build strong communities and strong relationships, that has meant the difference between survival and death for our species. I mean, I know it sounds like I'm being alarmist, but th this is just the truth. And so what does it mean when we, when we start losing the, this, this one thing that has meant the difference between life and death for our species? I mean, it's not good. I mean, keep in mind that belonging is the number one need for a homo sapiens after food, water, and shelter have been uh, taken care of. Well, and you know, Celeste, we're, we're talking about communication, but if you really think about this, and, and I'm not a mental health expert, but you were talking about a no-duh moment, and, and I'm sure there are a number of factors that play into this, but when you lose the connection with another person because you're communicating in such a detached way, and you're losing the empathy skill that you say we have to learn, we're not taught that, it's just something that comes from life experience, when you lose those things... It's really not a far stretch to see what's happening in society with shootings yeah. and just not caring about other human beings. Yeah, absolutely correct. I mean, I almost have nothing to say to that. Yes. Amen. Um, it's, it's not surprising at all to me, especially in the United States, to see how polarized how we have become and how easy it is for us to otherize people. Um, otherize means I see them as slightly less than human because they're not part of my tribe. Okay, so we've talked about some of the problems. Let's give our listeners some hope. How do we turn this around? How do we become effective communicators and solve some of the problems? See, this is a beautiful thing. It's so simple. I'm not saying it's easy, but it's so simple to fix this. 
And there's really great support for the fact that the, the, even the small interactions that you have with people, waving to your neighbor gives you a, a mood boost. Smiling at someone on the street increases your sense of belonging and, again, boosts your mood, lowers your heart rate, lowers your stress levels. Asking when you go in to get coffee, asking the barista about the weather or how they're doing. Even those small, short conversations can have a big impact on your mood and your, and your sense of community and belonging. So that's number one. But also start checking in on the people in your life. And when you are sitting down and thinking, oh, I have 20 minutes, call them up. Don't shoot them an email. Don't shoot them a text. Just call them up and say, hey, I was thinking about you. Just wanted to check in. And even if you leave a voicemail, which I know a lot of people don't like, let them hear your voice. The last thing I would say is that in order for a conversation to be significant to you and your body and your health, it doesn't have to be deep. Small talk is very, very healthy. And you don't have to get into some kind of in-depth, long-term conversation. Celeste, thank you so much for joining us. It has been such a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you for having me. It's been a joy. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Did you know that fostering a truly diverse and inclusive organization adds to the business value proposition? Diversity, equity, and inclusion can be an especially intense and emotional topic in business, media, and politics alike. Generally, because this topic calls for change, it is met with resistance. What does diversity and inclusion really mean? Diversity is defined as understanding, valuing, and celebrating the uniqueness of each person and recognizing how individual differences enrich your organization at all levels. These differences appear along many differing dimensions beyond gender, age, race, ethnicity, and socioeconomic status. Inclusion allows all team members to be treated fairly and respectfully. Equity is access to opportunities and resources so all can contribute fully to the organization's success. When you have an organization like this, you approach challenges from all directions with solutions from every angle, which lends to achieving greater results. Your team and clients both feel recognized and appreciated. Because of this, businesses such as these gain success in collaboration, sales, business relationships are strengthened, investments are secured, and overall positive culture is established. To further this discussion, call me, Bertha Robinson, at 732-705-5060 or visit my website, star1professional.com. Did you know that Reiki can help lessen stress, depression, and anxiety? And are you aware that Reiki is now being used in hospitals as a complement to medicine? And it's because of its relaxing effects that Reiki has helped many overcome their health concerns. It was founded by a Buddhist monk named Mikao Yusui of Japan in the early 1920s, and his goal was to help heal broken people. Reiki comes from a universal life force energy which radiates pure love, and this energy is then transferred through the Reiki practitioner's hands to the client. Reiki is considered a form of energy medicine which addresses the entire energy body called the chakras, which correlates to every system within our bodies from our pineal gland all the way down to our adrenals and spinal cord. So why not consider the many benefits of Reiki and how it can help impact the health of your body, mind, and spirit? Hi, this is Roxanne D'Angelo, a certified angelic crystal Reiki and magnified healing master teacher. For more information, you can reach me on the web at crystalclearenergies.com. productive life, but sometimes we just need a little help. Our Coach on Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining us today is Doreen Steenland, an ICF certified coach who uses neuroscience and coaching to harness the power of our brains. As a transformational neuro coach, Doreen changes brains one thought at a time. Doreen is the founder of Living Full Life Coaching. She is here today to discuss boundaries for living. Welcome, Doreen. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So glad to be here. So Doreen, setting boundaries, this is an area that is really challenging for a lot of people. Why do you believe boundaries are so important? Boundaries are important for us to know what's okay for me and what isn't okay for me. Um, we all have these 
preferences, desires, limits, and basically non-negotiable in our lives. And having the ability to communicate them effectively is a problem I see a lot. I know personally, um, growing up for myself, when I did not share with others what I needed, I kind of went unknown because that's how people get to know us, right? They get to know us by our preferences, by our desires. And, and when we stuff that and, and push that down and don't set clear and kind boundaries with others, it's hard to be known and set apart from others. We kind of mix in and mm-hmm. mesh with others. Why do you think we struggle so much with setting boundaries? Well, I think that most people don't know what they need and they don't know what they want. I've learned that I think society has programmed us as women, especially, to self-abandon. And we were taught our whole lives that we're selfish if we take care of ourselves. If we express something that rocks the boat, it's problematic. If you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. We were taught and trained with all of these things as women to kind of fit in in the background and not rock the boat. And what that's caused us to do is it's caused us to really tune down that internal alarm system that we have, push it down and push our needs aside and focus our concern on what everybody else needs versus what we need. And I think that people go through life not even knowing what they need because habitually they've been pushing themselves aside and stuffing down their needs, emotions, and desires for for way too long. So if this is the way we've been programmed over the years and we're not even aware that we're doing it, how do we set boundaries? How do we undo it and write new ones? Yeah, I, I want to talk about this quote from Dr. Jaya John. It says, your boundary need not be an electric fence that shocks those that touch it. It can be a consistent light around you that announces, I will be treated sacredly. And what I see is that when women are learning to set boundaries, they create these electric fences because they've been trained for so long not to share their their feelings, emotions, and needs that they become angry when, and when they're exhausted, they kind of reach their limit and set boundaries in a way that, that really is like a self-fulfilling prophecy, that their needs don't get met because they do it in a way that they can't be received. So I loved that quote from Dr. Jaya John about it, they don't have to be an angry electric Fence, right? We can learn how to communicate what we need in a way that we will be treated sacredly and with honor, the honor that we deserve. I know when I first started to set boundaries for myself, I was met with a lot of resistance because, you know, you create this dance within your relationships and, and people expect you to behave in a certain way. And when you act differently, they don't know what's going on. You know, they become very (laughs) resistant to you. So how can someone push that type of negative response aside and maintain his or her strength? Yeah, I I love that question because there are going to be people who will resist your boundaries. And those are the very people you need to have boundaries with. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Those people that resist your boundaries are the ones that have been taking advantage of them for way, way too long. And I love what Terry Cole says in her book, The Boundary Boss. She talks about the three R's of, of creating boundaries. The first one is recognize that there is a problem, right? So when you're faced with somebody who's who's constantly overrunning your boundaries, recognize this is a problem, right? Pay attention to the messages your body is sending you because your internal alarm system is always sending you messages and we need to begin to tune into what they're saying. That's our first sign, right? We recognize that there's a problem and then we can go inward and really get to a place that we can mindfully 
release any old emotional charges or wounds that have to do with that person and and look at this situation from a place of empathy from a place of clarity from a place of of um, curiosity right we want to look at this why was this person triggered why is this um, boundary important to be set right and we can respond then from a mindful place, using clear and appropriate words to express our needs. And, you know, the, the, the thing that I've learned most importantly is that we cannot be responsible for how someone receives your boundary. But if we communicate it in a clear and kind, kind and consistent way, we can feel good about ourselves and, and really stand in our power as we learn to communicate uh, as a powerful woman in our society. And what will life look like for us when we do set boundaries? Yeah, so we will start to show up fully in our life. We'll start to have more confidence. We'll start to have more courage. We will start to really begin to say no to things that we said yes to habitually just to please people, right? We're going to start really focusing our attention on the things that are most important. Doreen, thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to learn more about Doreen and her work and her programs, you can visit livingfulllifecoaching.com. And as always, to hear more from Doreen, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Doreen Steenlin. For joining us. I hope you found the show informative. At Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided is the opinion of our guest and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, listen to past shows on demand, read our digital articles, check out our team and book club, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow us on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications.